Come on up, Tom. All right, good to see everybody. Those of you watching from uh, at home, good to see you guys. And you stragglers from Milwaukee, where we're from, uh, are watching. Hello to you, too. Uh, I just want you to know, uh, we were super excited when we found out Ben and Jen were going to come to Grand Rapids. They're two of our most favorite people in the whole world. We were with them for six years in Detroit. Think the world of them, and uh, glad that you can have them here with you. I was also thinking, it just kind of dawned on me, uh, we're here meeting at Aquinas College. The last time I think I was on the grounds of Aquinas College was either 1974 or 1975. And uh, I was a kicker in high school and college, and I actually won the longest uh, field goal contest right here at Aquinas College back in those days. Uh, I was straight on, uh, the old style, uh, and I did it without a shoe, believe it or not. Uh, People that know me can testify to that. But uh, so brought back great memories being here at Aquinas College. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, You know, uh, we sang about some songs here about the birth of Christ And actually, some of these songs are uh, actually related to prophecy that we read about in the Bible. When you hear the word prophecy, sometimes you can get kind of a weird idea about what that's all about, because people misuse it, and they twist it, and they try to make the Bible say some things that the Bible really isn't saying at all. But if you're naive and don't know the scriptures very well, it's easy to fall into that kind of stuff. But there are some very specific prophecies about the birth of Christ, and we're going to look at just a couple of those this morning, and hopefully it'll give you some things to think about. But more, more importantly, put a reminder in all of us about what this time of year is really all about. Christmas over the years, as you know, has become so commercialized and so politicized, and uh, it just it, the meaning of it really is lost a lot of times. It's more about the celebration and all the stuff that goes along with that rather than the birth of Jesus Christ. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and start in an odd place perhaps, Second Peter chapter 1. There we go. You got that? Yeah, that works. So I want to read something here that will kind of set up some of these prophecies about the birth of Christ that we'll talk about in just a minute. Peter now, writing uh, towards the end of his life, we'll find that out in the passage that we're going to read, but he was one of the original apostles, walked with Jesus those three years during his life. He was actually given the honor and the task of opening up the doors to the kingdom of heaven uh, when, the first, uh, when the church first started in Acts chapter 2. And now later in his life, after years of preaching and traveling and starting churches and strengthening churches, he says this, and let's start in verse 12. He says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory 
as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Uh, Lori and I became Christians in Tampa, Florida, 1982. I don't know how many Sunday services we've been to over the years. I don't know how many midweeks, how many devotionals, how many special events, how many conferences. But you add all of that up, and that's a lot of stuff that we've heard and studied over the course of our lives. Uh, To be honest with you, a lot of it is repetitive. But that's good, because... Hearing similar messages and being reminded of the biblical truths that we put our faith in is good for our hearts so that when we get old, like Peter is here, we'll always retain these things. Sometimes we can write off, oh, that was a boring service. Oh, that was kind of a lame sermon. Uh, Pat was hoping for a, uh, uh, a little fluff today. I told her no fluff, but I'll give her a cream puff. And, uh, and uh, you know, sometimes we just, we just tell me something that's nice. But, you know, we need to hear it all. Not only the nice things, but the challenging things as well. And Peter made a habit that wherever he went, he would tell people the truth. And a lot of these things were reminders. Then right after that, he says in verse 16, We do not follow cleverly invented stories, when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty, for we, He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with Him on the sacred mountain. This is referring to the time when Jesus was transfigured, so it talks about in uh, the Gospels. He invited Peter, James, and John to go along with him. God came down. These guys heard God's audible voice. They were with Jesus. They also had the privilege of walking with Jesus. And you can tell why their faith was strong. Sometimes we feel like maybe we're at a disadvantage because we've never actually touched the physical Jesus. We've not heard the audible voice of God. But that doesn't mean our faith can be any, doesn't ha- it doesn't have to be any less than the faith we read about the apostles having. Yes, they were eyewitnesses, but what they saw and what they heard, they passed on to all the people of that generation And God saw fit to preserve these words over centuries that we now have at our disposal as well. Uh, I've learned a lot of things from people that have been eyewitnesses to other events. And it's like I'm right there with them. You know that experience? And uh, the same thing can be true here. So, yes, they were eyewitnesses, but that's not all that we have to rely to build our faith on. Because right after that, in verse 19, he goes on to say, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand 
that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This passage tells us that prophecy is like shedding a light into a dark room, thus the little graphic there that you have. I was kind of proud of myself. I found that on the internet. I learned how a long time ago to cut and paste. Ben, are you, are you impressed? Yeah. Ben taught me some of this stuff, actually. Uh, and so we have this body of Scripture in the Bible that is falling under this category of prophecy. These things are to build our faith. They are like a foretelling prediction of future events. Sometimes they're admonishments. Sometimes they're passing on future information. Uh, At other times they're warnings. But all of these prophecies are intended for you and I to have our faith and our mind challenged and built up. Along with that, some people say that there's some of the scholars that write about prophecy say there could be as many as 574 specific prophecies in the Old Testament that all point to the time of Jesus, the church. They revolve around the birth and the ministry of Jesus, the death and the resurrection, and then his return and salvation. So I couldn't even begin to tell you how many I, uh, I've read. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I could identify 574. You'd have to be like dedicated to that for your entire life. But most scholars will point to like about 40, 48 to 55 very specific prophecies about Jesus himself and use that as kind of the bedrock of prophecy that helps us understand that Jesus was something special. He wasn't just a man that lived for a period of time and then died and a whole religion was sprouted from that experience, but very specific things that help us build our faith. So let's take a look at a few of these prophecies about his birth. Uh, We'll start in Luke chapter 1. With his birth, there's a connection between his birth, his coming to earth, and light. We know light is used in the Bible as literal, like there is light and darkness, day and night. But light is also used metaphorically as an enlightening. Now that we see with our minds what the truth is, it's like we've been enlightened to the Word. And a lot of these are about that very thing. Before Jesus was born, his cousin John the Baptist was born. And his father, Zechariah, was marveling at this idea that he had a son and who this son was going to be. Remember now, his father, Zechariah, is talking about his infant son, John the Baptist. And he starts out in verse 67. Uh, His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, Because he has come and has redeemed his people, he has raised up a horn of salvation for his house and his servant David. Then jump over to verse 66 for the sake of time. 
And you, my child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for Him, to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercies of our God, by which the rising of the sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, a guide uh, to our feet and into our path. This was a prophecy that John the Baptist's father had just shortly before Jesus was born. I think it's an example that a prophecy doesn't have to be legitimate just because it has a long time period. We're going to read in just a minute about things that were written some 700 years before they are actually fulfilled. This is probably more the type of prophecy that comes to my mind. But here we're talking just a matter of a few years in the case of Zechariah. This same passage, or uh, another passage very similar to it, let's look in Luke chapter 2. Jesus is now born, and as his parents brought him into the temple to go through the purification rites, there was a man named Simeon there, and we'll read about this little experience beginning in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory of God, your people Israel." This is talked about 700 years prior to this in Isaiah chapter 49, verses 5 through 6. Let's turn there. Verse 5 says, Now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, to gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord my God, as my strength, he says. Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob? I will bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation, uh, bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is an example of a prophecy now 700 years in the making as opposed to just a few years. But very specific things are said about Jesus. For us, we have to understand that our faith doesn't just magically appear. 
Our faith is something that we work for and work toward. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10. And so it implies that you and I, if we want to have a strong faith, or have a faith at all, there's a little bit of effort that's required to look at some of the prophecies, some of the words that Jesus writes. Uh, If you're a young person growing up in your family's household and they're dragging you to church, uh, you know how it goes, right? How it feels sometimes. Uh, Don't just get dragged along, but participate a little bit and maybe God will do something with your faith as well. Uh, If you're an older person and someone's dragging you off to church, don't just go for the communion. Don't just go for a song or a, a fancy slide, but participate in it a little bit and maybe something will happen to your faith as well. And so we have these examples of Jesus bringing light. While we're in Isaiah, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. You've heard the famous saying, it's actually from the Bible, Isaiah chapter 9, down in verse 6, it says, For us a child, uh, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government of peace will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and it goes on. These are very famous words that are spoken right at this time of year. In even secular parts uh, of uh, our society, they say these words. But if you look up in the beginning, in verse 1, we'll pick up what happened just prior to that. Verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned now the interesting thing if you see the cross reference there of matthew chapter 4 verses 12 through 17 just before jesus began his public ministry he quotes this passage that we just read and it's his way of announcing to the whole world uh it's on i'm about to deliver the message of salvation but it wasn't a message that all came out at one time It was a message that not only was spoken, but a message that was lived and demonstrated by how Jesus walked here on this earth. That he spoke these things, and then shortly after that, he goes up on the the mountain, and he gives probably the most famous sermon in the whole world, is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so now he's going to not only speak, but from that point on, begin to demonstrate what this is really all about. And by his speaking, and by the way he's living, he's shedding light into a dark world to tell people and show people how they should really live. It doesn't take much to get discouraged today, does it? 
flip on the evening news, uh, do, uh, I guess, younger people, they do them podcast things. They look on the World Wide Web and get their news information and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, shootings and muggings and this and racial division and all this kind of stuff that we read about. And sometimes don't you feel like, man, the world is getting worse it seems like that to me. I'm a little bit older than most of you in the room. Not as old as some. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, but, you know, we've now, the older people, we've seen life over several decades now. Actually, more than several. Many decades. Uh, I'm working on my seventh decade right now. Uh, not there yet, but getting, getting close. And uh, it seems like society is unraveling more and more as time goes by and you scratch your head sometime that's why I have very little hair I scratch my head a lot uh, and you go what what is wrong with the world why do people act like this why do people treat each other like this why is this going on but it really shouldn't surprise any of us it's the same thing that's been going on literally from the beginning of time now, whatever happens in one part of our country, everybody knows about it in literally a few seconds. All this information, this high-speed exchange of information, but these same types of sins, maybe not the way they're committed now, but the same types of things have been going on ever since man first walked the earth. It's because this world is dark. This world is is without direction. And if we could just simply humble ourselves and hit the pause button a little bit to take a look at Jesus himself, we would see that living the way he lived and the way that he told us to live would bring light to a dark world, even in Grand Rapids, Michigan, United States of America. Amen? Let's go on to another set. The place of his birth. There's a small little book of prophecy. Micah in the Old Testament. I'm probably going to read this before you have an opportunity to turn there if you're not super familiar with the Bible. No shame in that. It just I didn't know where this stuff was at one time either. But it talks about the place of his birth. And in Micah chapter 5, again about 700 years prior to his birth, he says, Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And in verse 5, he will be their peace. He's talking about the place of Jesus' birth. And that was in Bethlehem. As one writer put it, one scholar put it, he posed this question, why would Jesus... God in the flesh, Savior of the world. 
Why would God allow him to be built or born in a little podunk town? That's what he wrote. But you know, it's kind of fitting, because if you think about Jesus, there, there's other passages that talk about there's nothing in his appearance that we should attract him, or be attracted to him, nothing about him that we should desire him. He was plain and ordinary. He's not fancy and pomp and dressed elaborately or from wealth. He's just an average kind of guy. That's the Savior of the world. So it makes sense that he'd be built, or born, built. <laughs> well, kind of. Uh, <laughs> God built him. <laughs> born in a little podunk town. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story about my wife. She knows I'm going to say this. Uh, my aunt heard the story at dinner last night. But uh, when we were in Detroit, she got a, a subscription to Ancestry.com. You know what that is, where you... You go, you go on this website and you kind of track your ancestors back. She found on her mother's side some little village in Scotland where they were from. And on her father's side, they came from England. But when they immigrated to the U.S., they settled in a little town north of Detroit called Millington. So we went up there one day and we were looking for a couple grave sites of her deceased relatives like great 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 grandparents or something like that and uh, we were walking around this cemetery looking for gravestones we couldn't find them and then this groundskeeper came by on a tractor and he said hey can I help you and I said yeah we're looking for her relatives he says oh they're all laying over on that side of the cemetery and so we walk over on that side of the cemetery and sure enough, there they are, all laid out, her ancestors. And then there was a couple that we were trying to find, so we went to the city hall, we went to the library, and as Lori was researching this, she found out that Millington was not the actual name that it was originally given. The original name of Millington, Michigan was Podunk, Michigan. <laughs> Pretty crazy, huh? So... Now that you know Lori, you know my podunk wife, and uh, now everybody here can say, hey, I know somebody from podunk, <laughs> and it's, it's right there, kind of over by Frankenmuth if you want, want some direction. But, uh, you know, Bethlehem is exactly where Jesus was born. I think God, not only prophecy, not only the eyewitnesses, but he also leaves little crumbs of evidence throughout the Bible that if we pick up on some of these things, they also can build our faith. This is kind of interesting because uh, Bethlehem, literally translated, means house of bread. And in John chapter 6, Jesus talked about, I am the bread of life. In a little while, we're going to take communion, which is eating the bread and drinking the cup, that little uh, sip of juice that we, that we drink every week. But this also kind of sheds some light on why was Jesus born in a little podunk town called Bethlehem, otherwise known as the house of bread. Finally, Isaiah chapter 7. We won't go into this, you know the story <clears throat> about Jesus' virgin birth. 
This, to be honest with you, uh, was all predicted 700 years prior that the virgin would be with child by the Holy Spirit. And then in Matthew chapter 1, that's exactly what we read about happening with uh, Jesus' mother Mary. A lot of critics will point to this event and say, come on, are you serious? A virgin with a child. It doesn't even make sense. Biologically, it can't happen. Are you serious? Uh, yeah, yeah, because God does a lot of things that are absolutely mind-blowing if you'll read about it and study it just a little bit. But it may not be as mind-blowing as you might think. Because throughout the Old Testament, there were a lot of women that were absolutely barren, unable to have children, until God intervened. Here's a few that I listed for you. Sarah gave birth to Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Rachel, Joseph, Hannah, Samuel. All of these, the Bible says, their wombs were closed until God intervened, answered their prayers, and blessed them with what they were asking for. But it was God that did it, just like it was God that provided this miraculous birth through the Virgin Mary. And so as we wrap things up, I want you to think about two questions. I've got two questions for you. You have to answer them. Well, you don't have to, but you won't get extra credit as if there were any credit. <laughs> One, for those of us that already know about Jesus, where would you be right now without him? Because we all know people that walked with Jesus, were faithful, and then a turn of events, a hard heart sets in, get super opinionated and start causing division and then they're gone. You know, all kinds of different reasons. Where, where would you be if you walked away from all of this right now? You'd probably be fine for a while. There's a little momentum that's already been built up. Some principles that you've followed. But I think over a period of time, you'd start to see that all ebb away, as I've seen in other people that I've known that have walked away from God. So it's important for us to be reminded, as Peter started out in the early beginnings of this, this message, to remember what we have with Jesus and what would we be without Him. If you're not a Christian, you're studying the Bible, I think another great question for us to ask ourselves is what could I be with Him? It's not just about acquiring information. It's not academic in nature only. This is about a change that God literally gives to every person that is willing to lay down their life as Jesus laid down His life and follow Him. Sometimes we think about the cost. There's a study called counting the cost. And, you know, there are things that we have to give up and surrender to. But it's not just giving up, it's what God gives us as well. And so I think this is a great question. 
especially now, this time of year, thinking about Jesus, what could I be with him if I followed him and lived like him? And so with those two thoughts in mind, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to take communion. Is that right, Ben? And uh, hopefully this has been helpful. Uh, I think what I would like to see everybody do with it is study it out a little bit more. I've kind of gone through it in a fast way. We only have a certain amount of time. But study it out. Build your faith. Remember these two questions. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us Jesus. And as we are less than a week away now of commemorating his birth, whenever he was born, we don't really know. But as we uh, commemorate it anyway, uh, next Saturday, please help us to remember, Father, that it was this little child that brought light to the world that your prophets spoke about years prior to him coming and that we see lived out in his church, uh, which we strive to be a part of. Father, I I pray that you'll help us to uh, stay faithful to you for all of our lives, that you'll give us greater faith as we think about Jesus. Help us not grow weary or lazy and strive to uh, put you first in our lives at all times. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.